As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, helping you to understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook or two. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. I am joined by Bruce Miller, author of numerous books, including The Seven Big Questions, Searching for God, Truth and Purpose, which is the focus of our show today. Bruce is the founding pastor of Christ Fellowship in McKinney, Texas. He is also a consultant for Christian leaders and has recently directed his wisdom towards LGBTQ plus consulting, having written various books on this topic. Well, Bruce Miller, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. And we're going to talk about your brilliant book, um, the seven big questions. But before we dive into some of those big questions, would you just say a little bit about who you are? Who's Bruce Miller? Um, you know, what's what's your experience of these questions? Just tell us a little bit about yourself before we go into the specifics. Sure. And Ruth, thank you so much for the honor of inviting me to be here and being on your show. And it really is a delight to share this time with you. I am married to my wife, Tamara. We've been married for almost 40 years. We have five kids and amazingly, now nine grandchildren. Wow. The youngest is just a couple of months old. And God's given me the privilege of founding a church in Texas that I love being the pastor of. And I love writing. Writing to me is is kind of like um, other people's art. It's uh, something that I feel like God's called me to do that I just enjoy. It's kind of like a form of worship to me to write. Wow. Lot of busy man, <laughs> five children, nine grandchildren, lots, lots to keep you busy there. Bruce, what was your experience of God growing up? Did you grow up in the church? You know, my parents were not Christians when I was born, but became Christian when I was a little boy. And I trusted in Christ at five years old. Wow. And in a way that I just have take no responsibility for, don't really know, but I'm thankful for God just grabbed hold of me and implanted me in a strong, radical faith in him that I've never really deviated from significantly, but plenty of issues with struggling with sin, but no no prodigal times. I've just been committed to Christ. And for me, it's that Philippians 1, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I just want to give my life to, to live for Christ. 
This might be a massive question, <laughs> and I feel like it go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> it might come out in in jibs and jabs as we do the next couple of episodes. But Bruce, why do you believe in God? If you had to kind of capture it in a nutshell, do you think? That's a great question. Probably two two reasons. One on the intellectual side, as I was doing my doctoral work in history of ideas at a secular university, uh, one of the one of the dimensions of the University of Texas, <clears throat> University of Texas at Dallas. I realized that every religion and worldview can be critiqued. Uh, at that time, deconstruction was certainly a big fad in the university, and Jacques Derrida and all this kind of thinking. And so I realized Christianity too can be critiqued, and you can poke holes in anything. But I realized that just on an intellectual level, Christianity holds more water, is more intellectually rigorous and stable than any other worldview or religion or point of view. And so I thought just on the intellectual side, if you're looking for what's the most intellectually defensible, then it's Christianity. But on a personal level, it's my own experiences with God and the peace and the joy and the security that God has given me in all times in my life. I, I, I Just a real, genuine, honest, personal encounter with the living God and relationship that is growing deeper and deeper as, as I've gotten older. Um, that tells me it, he's real. And Bruce, again, this might be quite a difficult question, but have you have you always been interested in these big questions? You said that you've sort of always been a Christian, but is that is you know are the questions something you've grappled with the whole way along your journey? Would you say? Yeah, that thanks, for it, uh, Ruth. Great question. And yes, I have. I've sort of always been philosophically minded, theologically minded. I've big questions have been appealing to me. So even in high school, I was reading in that time Francis Schaeffer and even John Calvin, and interested in the big ideas of who we are and what's reality and how do we know epistemology. And so I've grappled with those questions ever since I was probably a teenager and at different seasons of my life have wrestled harder with those sorts of questions. And why did you write the seven big questions? You know, there was another gentleman who did some research on what are the the most asked questions on the internet about God and faith and purpose and found these were the seven questions that were most asked on the internet on this topic of God and faith. And so I realized these are questions everyone has, well, maybe not everyone, but lots of people have all over the world. And it's important to give answers to them in a way that doesn't require you to have read the Bible or been in church, but just humans, ordinary people, men and women, have these questions. They may not always vocalize them right away, but they're deep questions that all of us ask at one time or another in our lives and should. And so what was it that made you, I guess that's that's one thing, isn't it? Knowing those questions are out there. What made you think, right, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to tackle these questions. Was it something that had been kind of brewing for a while and you just thought now is the time because of this research? Well, it was something that was stirring in me, and I met someone who was involved in this ministry with this gentleman. Called, it's called ExploreGod.com, and I got exposed to ExploreGod.com and decided, you know, we should do a series at our church on these questions. And so we did. We did a sermon series now a number of years ago, and it just got so much response from people, not only for themselves, but also for their family members and friends who have these questions. And people said, Bruce, this, you ought to turn this into a book. You ought to write this because we need this and our family and friends need a resource like this, something that you could hand to someone 
who's asking these questions and they can read or you can read it together. And so that's really what sponsored it is just real questions from real people and, and, and being providing a help for folks. So I guess the obvious question is, what are those seven questions, Bruce? Right. And so the seven questions, uh, this is the book. The seven big questions are, does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus God? Is the Bible reliable? And can I know God personally? And do we know if one of those was like the most searched for one or were they sort of fairly standard across the board? No, you're right. One of them is the most searched. I don't know if you can guess, Ruth, but... Was it the, was it the pain and suffering question? Yes, it was. <laughs> it was the third question. Why does God allow pain and suffering? I think that that presses so hard mm. on all of us. And if you're listening right now and you're going through a season of pain or suffering, my heart just goes out to you. It is hard. It is not easy, and it often causes us to ask really serious questions about God and purpose. What's, what's this all about if I'm enduring this level of suffering or pain? And we're going to tackle that question and, and the rest of the questions in the book over the next few episodes. Um, but while we're just kind of talking about how the book came about, um, is there a reason that you've ordered them in the way that you have in the book? I think that purpose is a question that comes up quite a bit for people, um, it's a question we avoid, and yet it's a question that that surfaces sometimes in in hard moments, like we were talking about pain and suffering in a moment of crisis. It also occurs in life transitions. You th- people imagine, well, when I graduate, I'll figure out life's purpose, or when I get married, or have a baby, or get into a career, and then you cross those thresholds, and you don't really find purpose or when I make a certain amount of money, maybe. Or I find people ask this question in the ordinary boredom of life. It's I wake up, I eat my breakfast, I go to work, I come home, eat my dinner, watch some television and go to bed and do it all over again and all over again. And what is the point? And it comes up there and yet we dodge it because I think there's a fear that the answer will be there's not a purpose. And that just feels so dark that we, we don't want to face that. So we avoid the question with work and children and media. And yet maybe deep late at night when you're trying to fall asleep and you can't fall asleep, this question haunts you. And you've obviously touched on the question of purpose and suffering, and, and we're going to delve into all of them a little bit deeper. But do you have any idea why some of these questions are being Googled so much? I think these are human questions that go back. In fact, if you as you look at ancient literature, ancient mythology, these are questions that human beings have wrestled with for as long as we have written records of human interaction. And, and so I think they're really fundamental to being human and living in this world. Is there a purpose? Is there a God? Why do bad things happen? The, these are questions that people have wrestled with in, in every country in every century. And do you think it's the same sort of questions over the centuries or do you think do you think they've changed or do you think it's kind of the same questions but perhaps just repackaged with like modern examples i think some of them are are ancient and cross all time like is there a god and pain and suffering but i think other questions like is jesus god Mm. is of course a more recent question and then is the bible reliable and those questions occur more specifically in terms of christianity than just anybody broadly 
who's at, who are asking questions, whereas the questions about purpose and God and suffering are more universal. And do you think age, demographic, race, location, things like that impact the questions that are being asked? Or again, do you think it's a kind of everyone's asking the same questions, but just, they just look a little bit different in the way that they're asked, perhaps? You know, I, I think it's another great question, Ruth, and I don't really have the answer to that. I, I think that would require, to, to give a real honest answer or a finger answer, would require more research than I've done, objective research, sort of intuitively. My thought is that some of these questions are universal, but I find that there's different times in your life they tend to press on you more. I think when you're thinking things through as a teenager or in college, you tend to wrestle with these. Mm. And then again, in an empty nest, once you've raised your kids, there's another season and in retirement, there's another moment where you, when you stop your full-time working career and you begin to wonder again, well, what was the point of all this? Yeah. So I think there's some seasons in life that tend to be more common uh, or again, in a crisis, a divorce, getting a difficult diagnosis of cancer. These are moments when these questions occur. Sometimes actually it's outside your own personal life, but even life, even events in the world, you know, uh, folks in Ukraine mm. with the war are asking these deeper questions, perhaps more than some others because of the level of crisis they're enduring. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. This might be too personal, so forgive me if it is, but is there any of the seven questions um, that you have found just really, really difficult um, for yourself to answer? Well, different ones in different ways. Um, The question on is the Bible reliable is the longest. Maybe it has a lot of different dimensions and complexities to it. The question of is there a God and is there purpose, I think relate to the ultimate question of whether there's any sort of purpose to life or whether there's just absolute nothingness. And that was a question I faced in my doctoral work to really wrestle hard with that. And I felt like the the more, the honest, if there's not a God, then you end up in nihilism. You end up really in nothingness. So that's really a darkness. And then I think the last question in some ways is the most important of, is I can I know God personally? And if so, how and to what level? And that's taken me to deeper levels of reflection even now for myself. Uh, what does that mean to honestly not just know God as an an idea or a worldview or a religion or a set of practices, but honestly, personally, relationally, to to know God experientially? And is there anything, I guess, either from these seven questions or something else that has really caused you to doubt? Well, I think for me, I went through my last season of doubt really was in my doctoral work when using the tools of analysis, critical theory, deconstruction, we could deconstruct any point of view, including Christianity, and reckon, reckoning then with, is yes, there's absolute truth, I believe, but I don't believe we can know it absolutely. We're not God. And so to deeply reckon with, I'm not God, and so it, it caused me to move to what I call epistemological humility. And what I mean by that big phrase, sort of speak, is we can't know absolutely or exhaustively because we're not God. And yet what I came to is that we can know adequately. Mm. And so for me, that was a really big moment of doubting because I thought, of, well, if we can't know with absolute certainty and exhaustively, then can we just not know anything? Does that throw you the other direction into utter despair? And I came to a place of saying, no, you don't have to move to absolute despair. You can 
realize we can't know with certainty or 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 exhaustively and yet we still can have knowledge that we that is reasonable and i suppose it's one thing knowing answers to some of these big questions but how how should we approach questions because if if people have got other questions that aren't perhaps raised in your book how how do we even go about kind of approaching those questions and beginning to answer them yeah that's a great that, that's a great question that's one of the aspects of this book and approach is to say let's embrace questions let's embrace doubt now uh, let's don't run from it out of fear or a sense of anxiety that maybe there won't be a good answer, but rather I believe we should run to questions and ask our uh, raise our doubts and take a look take a hard look at them. So uh, like with parents with children, I encourage you don't don't shut your kids' questions down, but actually ask ask them. And I'd say to Christians, a lot of times uh, it's common in a church setting to feel uncomfortable asking one of these questions. And yet most of us as Christians have these questions or one or two of them at one time or another in our life. But to say, I'm not sure the Bible's reliable or I'm not sure Jesus is God or I'm not even sure God exists feels like I'm being a bad Christian or a, not a good church member. And yet one of the messages I want to send is, no, it's good to ask these questions. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. But go ahead and ask the question and seek the answers because my encouragement is you're actually going to find out there are good answers and there are people who have thought these questions through and you'll you'll find some you're not going to end in despair well let's do as you say let's embrace some of those questions and let's kick off with that first one does life have a purpose i guess the first thing i wanted to ask you about this is do you think you would answer that question um differently uh, does life have a purpose for a Christian and a non-Christian, would you kind of have a different answer or a different approach depending on who you were talking to, do you think? I might have a different approach, but I would not have a different answer in the end. Mm-hmm. So what would, I mean, obviously you've got a whole chapter on in the book, but if you kind of put it into a, a nutshell, what would your answer be? Well, I guess what would the approach be to each of them and then what would be kind of the overall answer? Yeah, you want me to give away the whole chapter just in one minute here? <laughs> I, uh, Absolutely. I, I think uh, I think a good approach is to ask questions. When you're in a dialogue with someone else, I find that we often try to speak more than we should. And I think listening and asking questions and really out of a genuine curiosity to know what the other person is thinking. Sometimes an approach to asking questions is an approach to trap the other person that you're actually asking questions in a way that is uh, somewhat aggressive, mm. putting the other person in a corner. But I think rather to ask questions out of a heart of love and concern and curiosity, what do you think and why? How did you come at that conclusion? Because you really care about the other person, not because you're trying to win an argument. And so in doing that, I find that in asking questions about purpose, most people quickly come to an end. And Maybe they've tried different approaches to finding purpose in life and found that there isn't one. I, I find that people are surprised to learn there's an entire book in the Bible about this question, which is the book of Ecclesiastes. And on this question, I think as you ask, it does life have a purpose? As you ask questions about it and begin to explore it, where it often ends is what the author of Ecclesiastes, where he ended, which many people think was Solomon, although we're not sure, and in fact, people are, are often surprised to discover that his answer was meaningless, meaningless, or vanity, vanity in the old King James Version, that there, it, there is no meaning, which is, is a bit of a shocking statement that that's in the Bible, that he would come to that point. 
And I think as you're talking with someone, especially who's not a Christian, it's actually good to get to that place of, well, does making more money lead to purpose? Well, no. Well, what about achieving a higher and higher level in your in your industry that you rise higher and higher? Well, no, that's not it. Well, having children raising them, no, that's not it. And so when you look at Solomon, sometimes people wonder, well, if I just had enough money or opportunity, I could find purpose. Uh, you don't. So Solomon was the wealthiest man of his day and the most powerful man. So he actually had the opportunity to try it all. <laughs> and he did. He tried every kind of pleasure, building project, all, all kinds of power. And in the end, he said, no, none of it is really bringing bringing meaning, even the study of wisdom itself, learning more and more. He was the wisest man who lived at the time, still meaningless. And I think to really reckon with that is challenging and important. But then you sort of make the differentiation in the book, don't you, about that phrase, under the sun? That's right. Uh, a lot of people miss that, not as often as the word meaningless, but very often Solomon uses the phrase under the sun. And I hadn't ever, I hadn't seen that at the first in studying Ecclesiastes, but I realized he's giving us a big clue. Here's a big hint that yes, in this life, if you're only looking at this life, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, the nihilist, the existentialist are correct. There is no meaning. You end in nothingness. And if you're only looking in the frame of this life on this earth under the sun, so to speak. And so the hint Solomon's giving us is that the only place to really find meaning is above the sun. Above the sun, we have to look at a longer frame than just this life. There's another interesting uh, artful poetic phrase in the middle of the book. He says, God has set eternity in our hearts. What an interesting phrase. And that what, he's, what he's pointing at is that all of us have this sense that there must be something more. So almost every religion point of view is that there's some sort of afterlife. Now, not a materialist, materialist point of view, but many people believe, well, there's got to be something beyond. We all sorts of different theories and approaches, but there must be something more than this life. And we're right. And it's that, that somehow there's eternity in our hearts. Somehow there's a, a, an inner sense. And, and that inner sense, that intuition is correct. That the only way to really find meaning and purpose is to look above the sun. And you touched on this earlier, but there's a great line in your book, which I'm just going to read out. Um, you say the okay. daily grind is mind numbing and overwhelming. It's easy to begin to lose any sense of a greater purpose. Um, I think, as you know, as you say, that just kind of sums up how a lot of people feel, Christians and non-Christians. So I guess, again, you go into this in great detail in your book, and I would highly recommend people reading it. But, but what is the solution to that? Yeah, I think so many of us are caught in the daily grind of life, just one day after another that feels the same and we're wondering are we really accomplishing anything does any of this really matter which leads us to any anxiety medicines antidepressants or just numbing ourselves with alcohol or marijuana or numbing ourselves with sports or media or video games or something to just not think about it and my encouragement is no it's worth pausing the screen <laughs> to stop and think about it. And otherwise you don't really ever live a life full of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. You do live this mundane daily grind that doesn't really bring meaning and fulfillment. And so I would encourage you, if you're asking this question or if it's, if it's crossed your mind, 
yeah, it's worth stopping to think about it, read about it, ask questions about it, engage somebody in dialogue about it in a serious way, not in an argumentative way, but hey, these are some these are questions that it's really worth taking time to wrestle through and and think through for yourself, not just accept someone else's answer, but I, I believe the answers that we discover for ourselves are the ones that really matter to us and really make a difference. Just as we come to the end of this episode, and as, as I've said before, we're going to work our way through some of those questions, but I would highly recommend reading the book for yourself. Um, I want to end with another quote that you've got, which I think is brilliant, but I just would love you to clarify a little bit more about what you mean. Sure, so sure. you say, instead of rushing to slap a Bible verse band-aid on the pain or trying to find solace in some greeting card cliche, take the time to listen to the why behind your thoughts or your friend's fears. What do you mean by that why? I think sometimes... Christians are, are guilty of throwing out a cliche as if that was going to solve the problem when people have really deep feelings, really deep concerns, experiences they've been through. And I think that as caring people, we want to listen. And again, again, ask questions and find out, tell me about, tell me your story. I find that a lot of people's questions about God and life and purpose are not philosophical, intellectual not that that's not a dimension of them, but it's about the experiences we've had, the hurts and pains, disappointments that we've had or those we love have had, and to take those really seriously and learn somebody's story, what they've experienced and been through. Maybe they've been hurt by a church or religious figure or let down or disappointed. And it's knowing someone's story and taking them very seriously not just a, a person to debate with or an argument to try to logically dismantle. It's more a person to love and care for and listen to. Well, that seems like a perfect place to end this episode, but we will be chatting to you some more about some of those other questions. But Bruce, that's all we've got time for today. So thank you so much for joining You're us. most welcome. Joy to be with you. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. Please do let us know what you think of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or you can get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.